Don't rock the boat. Don't share your opinion if it differs from the crowd that you're in. Don't speak up. Don't break rank. Because if you do, there will be consequences. Someone will be displeased with you. They'll be angry, hurt, disappointed, upset. They may even leave you. Worse, you could be fired from a really good job. You could lose a friendship. You could lose family. These are the thoughts that most human beings contend with at one time or another in our lives and in our relationships. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's a thought that pops up in the midst of these things that maybe there can be a softer way. Maybe there's a way that I can say who I am and what I feel and what I really think and believe about an important situation without actually saying it. Maybe I can disagree without actually saying that I disagree. But in every person's life, there come crossroads in which we are faced with these types of situations and we have a choice to make. And the choice boils down to confrontation or avoidance. That we can choose to engage the things in our lives that are difficult, in which we really need our voice to be heard, but we're too afraid of the implications, but we go ahead and do it anyway. Or we convince ourselves just to avoid just to make passive-aggressive comments, just to talk our way around the difficult things that emerge in our lives, and we fail to confront. For me, this year, Palm Sunday, as I've been thinking about the passages in the lectionary over the past couple of weeks, has, has presented itself as a sermon, as a day of confrontation. And here's what I mean by confrontation. I, I literally want to uh, break apart the word real quick. Um, you know, I made like a C minus in etymology in high school. I took that as an elective. And I think about that all the time. I, I, sh I should have tried harder in etymology because I actually love it as an adult. Um, the, the word confrontation, it comes from two parts, co and front. And the co means with or together. And front comes from the word basically meaning face. So to come face to face, to come to a situation or to a person with your face, meaning not deflecting off to the side, meaning not saying or doing what you don't really believe or feel, but actually confronting with the truth of who you are. So bringing your true self to the difficult situations, the situations in which everything in you is screaming, just compromise, just don't do it. It's too scary. Somebody will leave you. This is not what is meant 
by most of the time when you hear people talking about speaking the truth in love. You heard that? That gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it? I'm just speaking the truth in love. This is, this is not the meaning that I'm getting at here in the word confrontation. Usually what somebody means when they say, I'm just speaking the truth in love, is that I will judgmentally or angrily express my opinion of the situation as if it is objective truth in situations where there is complex nuances and where people on different sides of an issue have well thought out convictions that they bring to the table and that they are valid in disagreeing with you. So uh, that is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about confrontation. I'm not talking about the trite meaning of speaking the truth in love. What I am talking about is coming to life, bringing yourself, showing up with your feelings, your hurt, your anger, your gladness, your celebration, all the things that belong to you and the thoughts that come with it. And you can share and engage life through those things without having to attack somebody else. You can engage and confront, bring your face yourself to situations. If anybody in here has been married for more than a minute, you know how important this can be in your marriage to be able to say, hey, you know what? We've talked about this and we still disagree with each other and we've shared our feelings and we've shared how passionately we think it should be done this way and the other person thinks it should be done that way and we just have to sit there and acknowledge we have different feelings about it so that we can heal and progress and strengthen our relationship. Anybody, an amen from anybody out here for that? Maybe you're still working on that one. It, take, it took a little while for me to understand that in my own marriage. See, confrontation is rarely about who has the best or most objectively true idea if there is such a thing, but rather can you bring your honest self to meet the issues at hand? And this is terrifying. It's terrifying. As a 23-year-old man, I spoke up to a father figure, a leader of a church that I was a part of, when he asked me for my opinion about some things. And I was wrestling with issues that felt very large for me, issues of church membership and what did it mean to be committed. When I, when I tithed, when I showed up to my small groups every Sunday, when I helped in the nursery every other week, and yet I didn't have the status of membership because I hadn't filled out the paper. And for me in my 23-year-old mind, it didn't make sense. And I had questions about poverty and I had questions about how do we include everyone in the congregation. And I was honest with my questioning and I was given the back door of the church. I was asked to leave simply for bringing myself to the conversation and my wonderings and my questions and my pain. And I share that because it's terrifying to do this. It is terrifying to meet life with your whole self, with confronting 
the things, confronting the things that are in front of us with our true life. Jesus knew this as he entered into Jerusalem. He knew that the systems and the powers were built on a deflection, a, a, a workaround, a don't look behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz, everything's actually okay and, and we're in charge. Don't look at the people, the, the lame and the outcasts and the marginalized and those who don't fit in the narrative of the empire. Just look here where there's success, where, where there's wealth, where there is an absence of direct conflict. And Jesus came into Jerusalem knowing that he was confronting all of that. The truth of it, that we're all afraid, that we're all fragile, that we're all in unbearable need of help and of a savior. The empires of the day, the governments of the day, they, they don't want to acknowledge this truth of life. And so they deflect and they avoid and they operate outside of this confrontation with life. The prophet Isaiah would have none of this though. The prophet Isaiah was one wrestling with the realities of life for his people, for the people of God who were stuck in a crappy situation, who were exiled from their land, who were depressed and oppressed and felt no hope. And he was wrestling with this internal struggle of hearing the voice of God, telling him how to instruct and to confront the people with something hopeful, something different. And he knew it would not be met with simple all right, great, wonderful. He says here in the, in the fourth verse, he starts here. And um, this is, by the way, this is one of the chapters in Isaiah that are, have become known to scholars and theologians as the servant songs. And, and they speak about this servant that as Christians, we very closely identify with Jesus. That's why the lectionary readings paired these passages together, this Isaiah passage with the Palm Sunday passage. And these, these passages are speaking to us from the perspective, at least here from the perspective of this servant who would bring restoration and healing and justice to the people of Israel. And so with that in mind, this is where Isaiah is, the perspective he is speaking from. He said, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Hmm. You know, that is a good test about when we feel like we're confronting the things that need to be confronted. Are our words sustaining the weary? Isaiah speaking as the servant here, he's saying to know the word that sustains the weary. For those whom the half-truths and the untruths and the hidden truths, the things that 
Others are saying, we just need a little tweak here in our systems. We just need a, a little bit of a change here. We've mostly got it right while they are out there suffering. The, the, the masses of people of the world living at the, in the destitution of the lack of resources that the rest of us have hoarded. Does the word sustain the weary? This is the word that Isaiah has been given, but we also see the, the conflict with this word. If it was that easy, if, it, if, if everyone was okay with those words, those truths that would sustain the weary, there would be no risk and there would be no problems and there would be no crucifixions. But the conflict here comes as Isaiah wrestles and grapples with the reality of what he knows will come with these words that are balm to those who are on the outside, to those who are the outcast. He knows that there will be consequences as he speaks the words that will sustain the weary because those words will challenge those holding the power that makes them weary. And so he says this in verse five, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. So he wrestles with, should I just not say these things? Should I just pretend that they don't need to be confronted? Should I just go along with what the popular way of talking about this is? And he says, he decides, no, I'm, I have not turned away. And in verse six, he says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. You see, the truth that sustains the weary, it admits the co-vulnerabilities of all of us, the neediness of all of us, the imperfections of all of us, the greed of all of us, the unsustainable lifestyles that we are living of excess at the expense of the poor. And they will always, those words will always be met with fierce and violent opposition. And this is what Isaiah wrestles with. Hey, at least there's good news for the ladies. If you don't have a beard, like you don't have to worry about your beard getting plucked out. That's good news, right? Didn't expect that to be part of the good news, right? This type of confrontation, it exposes the death of the oppressive half-truths and get-alongs with the ways of the empire. This is the reality, people. This is the reality that Jesus faces as he mounts the colt and strolls into Jerusalem. He, he did that. He said, hey, get me this donkey over here, this colt that's never been ridden, as he's about half a mile away from Jerusalem up on this Mount of Olives. And he's like, go get this for me. And and as he begins riding in, the people who know Jesus, the people who've heard of Jesus, they've heard of the way he has confronted life, the way he had healed the sick, how he had touched the unclean lepers and made them clean, the way he had lifted up the poor with his rapturous teachings of who is blessed in the kingdom of God. And they remembered Zechariah 9.9 that said, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey. That's how the king of Israel will come. 
In doing so, Jesus was sending a powerful message to the powers of those who say that might makes right, of the insurrectionists and the zealots, as well as those of the least, least path of resistance as our only chance of survival. He's saying, this is actually what it looks like. This is what the real truth, the real life looks like. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna confront everything. And he doesn't say anything when he does it either, does he? He's just riding on a donkey. You know who doesn't say nothing? Because it ain't quiet. As we just rehearsed together, it ain't quiet. For people are shouting. What were they shouting? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the one who's instructed by God, as Isaiah puts it. And in the, in the gospel of Matthew, Hosanna, save us, we pray. That's what Hosanna means. So Jesus comes in and he states by his very appearance he is claiming to be this king. And who shouts out? Who shouts out and recognizes it? It is those who are weary. It is those crying out to be saved. It is those that already know that this thing, this half-truth of the way things are operating right now, that they need to be saved from it. Let that be us. Let that be you and I. Let that be me. This was so incredibly obvious at this point because of the decisions that Jesus had made all throughout his life, the decision to engage, to confront, that the Pharisees who were afraid of what this would mean, who were afraid of how the powers that be would respond to the people saying, this is the king with no human authority, with no labels, with no promotions, with no inherited great names of royal bloodlines to back up what was happening here. The Pharisees said, shh, Jesus, you know we can't do this. You know there will be consequences. And Jesus says, look, in verse 40, he's like, if they don't speak, even the rocks will testify to this truth because it's true, because it's true, because it's true. In this moment, Jesus upended the false truths and the half-truths of the day without a word. That it's neither might makes right, nor the get along with the empire crowd. This is not the healing balm that the weary needed. It was a confrontation and the powers were being confronted with life itself in the person of Jesus. That's why those there couldn't help 
but say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was clearer than it had ever been. You see, I preached before, I've read before, and I've heard many other people preach and articulate this, that the people in the crowd thought Jesus was gonna take the throne and vanquish all the enemies with the sword and establish a kingdom that looked just like all the other kingdoms. But I don't know anymore if that was the case. I think the people there in the crowd understood there was something different about this man, that there was something different about this life that they had to spontaneously burst into praise and find whatever they could to make the way plain and straight for the path of this life that was confronting the powers of the day, of the death of the day because that's what the rule of the day spells for the weary. It's death, death for the truth. Blessed are those who are not afraid to see the deaths of the untruths and the half-truths exposed for what they are so that they can receive new life. Blessed are those who have nothing to lose from the empire for they will all see the kingdom of God. Isaiah finishes his passage here, verse seven and nine through nine, and he says, speaking through the eyes and the heart of this servant, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. See, even though Isaiah, as he is inspired to think through this space of this servant who would do these things, even as he thinks about that and he thinks about the violent opposition that will come to life, because what else can death do when it is confronted with life but attack, but seek more violence and more death? Therefore, have I set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. Why? He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? And we all know the story. We're embarking on Holy Week. Jesus was killed for confronting death with life. Can't really kill life, though. All of us, all the time, are in confrontations with life. Jesus models and marks the way as we will process in his way to the table in just a moment. And he gives us the courage and the inspiration to show up with the life of the word that can bring hope to the weary, that can bring not an avoidance of conflict, but to embrace the conflict, to face the death where life and rebirth can happen on the other side. Let us all pray for the courage to join and follow after 
Jesus. Amen.